A hundred years ago this weekend, on the 1st of April 1923, customs barriers were established on the northern border. This quickly made clear the tangible reality of partition on this island and had a huge impact on people's daily lives along the border. To talk about this hard border introduced a hundred years ago and some of the parallels with what's happening now, I'm joined by Dr Cormac Moore. Cormac is a Dublin City Council historian in residence and author of the 2019 book Birth of the Border, The Impact of Partition. Cormac, welcome back to The History Show. Thank you, Miles. Um, We talked about this a few years back when the book came out and uh, one of the surprises and one of the great ironies in all of this is that Northern Unionists did not want a customs barrier in 1923. Yeah, they didn't want a border in Ireland. Um, now, they wanted Ireland, all of Ireland, to remain within the British Customs Union. So, you know, it's not, not a case of they wanted United Ireland. They wanted all of Ireland to remain part of the British fiscal system. Because they did realise that a border, actually a hard border with customs, was going to impact negatively on trade in Northern Ireland. And it did. So they, they were adamant that this was a, a foolish step, as, as they would have thought it. And actually, James Craig, the Northern Ireland Prime Minister, said that it was the South, not the North, who were the cause of partition. And there would be no partition without customs barriers between the North and the South. And the Irish Free State was pushing for the introduction of customs controls for for a few reasons, for political reasons and for economic stroke fiscal reasons. For years, nationalists had wanted fiscal autonomy, you know, if they were going to get home rule. And if we look at, say, the 1886, 1893, the 1912 uh, home rule iterations, even the Government of Ireland Act, they, the fiscal um, and powers were retained pretty mm. much within Westminster. So are you really independent if you've got self-government, but you need to go to Britain to get money, or the money is counted by the British Treasury, who are notorious for misdeclaring Irish revenue to the detriment of Ireland? So... The reasons for fiscal autonomy were absolutely valid. Every other dominion had fiscal autonomy, like Canada and Australia. And you, you could really argue that you would not have, in, have any semblance of independence if you didn't have fiscal in, in autonomy. So they were right to look for fiscal autonomy. The problem was, and this was the dilemma, and they recognised this as a dilemma, there was a border on the island, a border they didn't agree with. But if you're going to have fiscal autonomy, you need customs barriers around your national kind of area. So there had to be a customs ring. It was fine for the ports. You know, there, there already had been uh, customs infrastructure there, but there was no infrastructure of customs along the 300-mile-long border between mm. Loch Foyle and Loch Carlingford. That had to be built at a very, very short period of time. And it did stereotype the border. You know, it actually it made it real, it made it tangible. It, you, know, you, you actually put infrastructure, you put customs posts, you close off roads, you have customs officers, you have signs, you've got posts. You've got railway uh, lines stopping and checking goods. It does make the, the border very real. And you've got money from tariffs, and that money was badly needed. It was very badly needed. Now, we, we look at revenue now, you know, we would say income tax, corporation tax are probably the biggest re- revenue generators. But back then, the customs and excise was the biggest revenue generator. About two thirds of revenue was, was through customs and excise. And this was, you know, this is March, April 1923. The Civil War was still happening. So, you know, they were in desperate need of money. So, they definitely did believe that and this would help the Exchequer. They also thought that they could squeeze Northern Ireland and they could squeeze Northern Ireland trade. Um, that was a bit bonkers, wasn't it? Well, it kind of reminds me of the DUP now. You know, the DUP have rightly, I think, um, been blamed for weakening the union instead of strengthening the union by backing Brexit and all of the other deals since then. And you could say the same, this dogmatic naive belief amongst nationalists. And it wasn't just Cumann Gael, it was Republicans as well, 
they felt if there's a land border, it will actually squeeze Northern Ireland to uh, lose trade and actually end partition. Like, totally naive. And many people at the time said it was totally naive. Ernest Bly, for example, you know, the, the only Ulster Protestant in the cabinet, he said this isn't going to work, you know. And, uh, but the, the Free State government went ahead with it anyway, believing that Northern Ireland would end partition because they were forced to, even though their trade was more east-west than north-south. Um, for tax reasons, I suppose, the whole border thing comes into effect on the 1st of April, 1923. So April Fool's Day. Which was um, East, Easter Sunday as well, that which year. Was, yeah, and I mean, there's also a reason, I suppose, for it starting on, on a Sunday. But what practical changes had to come about before the border was established? Yes, so internally, uh, between the British government, the Irish government, there had been talks the Irish Free State was offered fiscal autonomy with the treaty. It was actually the very last thing Lloyd George gave to the Irish about two, three hours before they signed the treaty. But they weren't able to exercise fiscal autonomy for, you know, as a provisional government and even for a while when the Free State was officially formed on December the 6th. So they decided to do it on the basis of financial year. So the end of financial year was 31st of March 1923. Going into the next, they decided to do it for that reason. They only let the public know in the 23rd of February 1923 that there are going to be uh, customs barriers. So... There was a huge outcry in the public. Look, what do we do? What goods are, do we have duties? You know, where are the approved roads? You know, what railway stations have to, or uh, railway lines have to do? So basically, they had, had put up temporary custom stations. Some of them were permanent. They had to have farms and, and newspapers and railway stations showing which goods you can bring in, which you can't. What what duties? So they have had to pay six them. weeks. Six weeks to prepare for all of this. Businesses like Dublin Chamber of Commerce went um, ballistic, said, can you just please give another year? Mm. You know, stay in the f- British fiscal space for another year. Let us prepare properly so that we can do this. Uh, in, so this you know. is far worse than Brexit. Well, is it? Well, I mean, <laughs> six weeks. Well, people voted on Brexit without knowledge. Well, true. You know, yeah. um, um, so, but yeah, this is... In terms of disruption, disruption, in terms of... Huge uh, disruption. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but you have, you have all this infrastructure coming up within a very short period of time, six weeks. And, and they did, they went ahead with it and, it and people's lives were immediately impacted. If you were living close to the border, a lot of the roads you would have used, say if you're going from, uh, you know, from Belig to Donegal, which, which could have been only a mile uh, journey, it became a 20 mile long journey because of certain roads that you couldn't go through and so on. This happened in, say, Loud to Armagh, to, to Down and so on as well, all over the northern border area. So it completely disrupted uh, people's lives immediately. And one of the really strange things about it was, because one of the elements of the treaty was the Boundary Commission, that there would be a Boundary Commission, it would sit and it might realign the border. Yet, the border is basically established by the Free State Government before the Boundary Commission starts to deliberate. And they accepted this, that they accepted the decision they were making to impose customs barriers and create a hard land border was going to stereotype hmm. the border. Create facts uh, on the ground. Create facts on the ground. And they said, but they said, if they, if they, how long were they going to wait? Because at the time, there was no date given for when the Boundary Commission would convene. Um, the first uh, commissioner, uh, Owen McNeill, the Free State Commissioner, was appointed that summer, summer 23. The British uh, chairperson, uh, Justice uh, Richard Feetham, he wasn't appointed until the following sun- summer. Northern Ireland said they weren't going to participate. So eventually the British had to bring legislation to, to get a Northern Ireland Commissioner. And they did, it didn't convene until November 25, as we know it. You know, the report, which was uh, shelved, didn't come out until the, uh, December 1925. So the, the, that's what they're that's thinking, that this could be going on for years and we're still going to be under British fiscal space. So we have to do it. But yes, they accepted that this is going to actually create problems for us in terms of it, it creating a border, creating infrastructure mm-hmm. of a border. And it did, it, like Justice Richard Feetham, when he was chairman, 
and he had many interviews and many submissions, he kept on talking about the terrors of customs barriers, you know, and that why would anyone bring it further north when you're going to have, have to change the customs barriers, customs stations, further north or further south, whatever the case may be. So it made it very easy for him to actually decide, let's leave it as much as possible, you know, the border the way it is at the moment. And if you look at all the submissions as well, whether it's from unionists or nationalists, they constantly talk about the impact it had in their lives and that they didn't want... Um, they, sometimes they want to change it to the, the boundary, but uh, they were all talking about the terrors of customs barriers, essentially. And how long did this situation effectively last? You know, at what point does free trade begin? And does, is that, that hard border beginning to relax? Well, many people thought when... Ireland would join the EEC, the, you know, the European Economic Community, that the the actual hard border would go because it had always been, you know, a, a name of the European Union, whatever name it was called at any juncture, to have um, no customs barriers within the member states, basically free trade between all the member states. Um, but it didn't like there was still barriers within the EEC when when Ireland joined. You know, there still were goods there were duties on. It was only in 1993, the first of January 1993, that the single market came in, the EU single market came in. And that was when the actual customs went. But we, we still had the troubles then and there still was a hard border. You know, the, the kind of border changed, even though there was less customs and people were asked to pay or there was less checks that people had to undergo, the border was still very severe because of the infrastructure of the troubles. So it became more of a military border than a customs border from the 70s onwards, right up until the, the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. Do you see present-day parallels with what happened in 1923? Huge, huge. It's striking, the amount of parallels. First of all, uh, unionists want to be, want to remain as, as, as closely aligned to Britain as possible. And, and this is often a, a less-known fact that unionists talk today about, uh, you know, they want to be treated the very same as the rest of the United Kingdom. They never have been. Like, there was loads of customs checks. If you were shipping goods from Great Britain to Northern Ireland for the 20s and 30s, you had to fill out customs forms. You had to have declare, you know, what contents of the material was, were they due to be or not. Even though there was no customs to be paid, the the only way of, of British Treasury counting the revenue from Northern Ireland was to customs checks and uh, and forms. So there's all, and even Second World War was even worse. They they had to show travel identity cards. Right in 1952, if they wanted to cross the Irish Sea to Great Britain, so there's always been uh, differences between Northern Ireland and Great Britain, and and generally because of the land border as well. That's just been a big factor in that, because uh, Britain wants to protect its borders, and it felt that people from alien the alien continent would get into the back door of the Irish border over the Irish Sea from Belfast and into Britain. So they actually put controls on the Irish Sea for much of the one, last 100 years, and um, well before Brexit. There's obviously huge parallels in terms of the mis, you know, the misinformation, the downplaying of, of the effect it's going to have on people's lives and the lack of preparation that I talked about earlier that is obviously very prevalent uh, within with Brexit. And also it's kind of roles reversed, as I said, you know, nationalists were very dogmatic, were very naive in thinking that this is going to force unionists and Northern Ireland into United Ireland by putting up customs barriers. You could say the roles reversed in some ways that nationalists obviously don't want any land border some unions, even though a lot won't admit it, do want a hard land border, but that will not strengthen the union, that will actually weaken the union. So you have this dogmatic kind of uh, politics at play now as you, as you did 100 years ago. My guest is Cormac Moore. His 2019 book is called Birth of the Border, The Impact of Partition in Ireland. That's from Marion Press. Cormac, thank you very much for joining us to talk about the, the past and present of the hard border.
That's all we've time for on this evening's programme. Details of all our items, as well as podcasts, are available on our website, rte.ie forward slash history show. My thanks tonight to Kieran Dunn on sound and our researcher Ian Kennelly. The History Show is a Pegasus production for RTE. For now, for me, Miles Dungan, and producer Lorcan Clancy, goodbye and thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at RTE History Show.